Broadcasting live from the RNR studios in Las Vegas, Nevada. It's the premier destination for an inside look into the Las Vegas Raiders. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor. Presented by Tequila Embajador. It's because people project. That's why. We're just going to leave that right there, Devon Cotton. Welcome to In the Huddle, Raider Nation Radio. It's a Wednesday. I am fired up. We are live at the Finley Cadillac Performance Studio. We're asking this question today. It is May 4th, the day before Cinco de Mayo, the day before my wife's birthday, by the way. And we're asking this question on May 4th. After the draft... After free agency, where this Raiders roster is right now, and there's really only a couple more spots left on the roster, open roster spots. As we sit here today, ladies and gentlemen, Raider Nation, where do the Raiders sit in the whole scheme of things in the AFC West? We all know, I think it's safe to say, based on everything that's happened in this joggernaut of a division, the AFC West, everybody that I talk to in the NFL, what the hell is going on in the AFC West? It's like an arms race. It's like different countries getting ready to go to battle. Only this is football, and we're going to keep that in perspective. But when you look at the Raiders, when you look at the Los Angeles Chargers, when you look at the Denver Broncos, and yes, the Kansas City Chiefs, who, ironically enough, are probably the one team that took a step back. You don't trade Tyreek Hill and get rid of Tyreek Hill and not take a step back. I don't care who you draft or who you try to replace him with. Tyreek Hill is Tyreek Hill. There's none other like him. But the Kansas City Chiefs, Patrick Mahomes, Travis Kelsey, uh, that coaching staff, everything that they've got going for them, don't sleep on the Chiefs. You're not going to be able to do it. Don't do that. And I know nobody does. But when you look at the Raiders and you look at the Denver Broncos and you look at the Los Angeles Chargers, you can make a case that all three teams are markedly to decidedly better today than they were when the season ended last year. And for the Raiders, that season ended on a cold and blustery day in Cincinnati, pushing the eventual AFC champion Cincinnati Bengals to the brink. To the brink. The Raiders were so close to potentially tying those, that game in um, the closing seconds and pushing it to overtime. Who knows what would happen at that point. But that's all in the past. We're talking about today and moving forward. Where do the Raiders stack up in this tremendous division? We want your call, 702-365-9200. And to help answer that question and also take a look at what has been going on um, in, in the rest of this division and the NFL uh, and beyond. We're going to uh, bring in our good friend Benjamin Albright, the Broncos' great insider over at KOA Colorado. Got to ask Ben, or yeah, Ben, uh, how he survived last week. I know I saw some of his Twitter pictures. He was here in Las Vegas. He is that kind of guy. He rolls hard. I got to tell you that, uh, but he, he, he wears it well. He's able to recover and get back to work and work as hard as anybody, but Benjamin knows how to get after it. I can only imagine some of the stories from Las Vegas. Then at 5 o'clock, Bill Williamson, our really good friend from SB Nation, will join us in the huddle. And finally at 5.30, Rich Ornberger, 
the former NFL player who also, uh, I think he finished his career with the San Diego Chargers. Uh, he now works for San Diego's XTRA 1360, uh, covers the Chargers and the AFC West, um, and has great insight. So he's going to join us at 530. So uh, a stacked show. We're asking you the question, and we're going to try to answer it ourselves as the Raiders continue to tinker with this roster, try to get it set for what's really I mean, right around the corner. I know it's May, early May, but July is going to be here before you know it. And for the Raiders, you know, having a new coach, A, uh, so they get to do things a little bit earlier, but also B, they're playing in the Hall of Fame game. Don't forget that. They get an extra preseason game, and it starts a week earlier than everybody else, and that means their training camp starts a week earlier than everyone else. We don't know the exact details, but typically – Typically, if you're playing a normal schedule of preseason games, it's right around July 30th, August 1st, right around there. So back that baby up uh, about a week or so, and that's when we're starting to talk about the Raiders and training camp and Josh McDaniels' first uh, go with this team here in Henderson at at training camp. So it's right around uh, the corner. By the way, just want to remind everybody that this – uh, half of In the Huddle is sponsored by the Neuropathy and Pain Center of Las Vegas. There's nothing worse than living in chronic pain with little hope. Neuropathy and Pain Center of Las Vegas offers genuine relief from even the most severe and persistent forms of pain. Call their office today or book an appointment online to find out how can how you can live as pain-free a life as possible. Please call them at 725-373-9879. We're going to go right out to the Realty One Group listener line because Dino is on the line. How are you doing, Dino? Vincent, how are you doing? I'm doing really well, thank you. All right, yeah, this AFC West is going to be a gauntlet. We all know that. But I don't think the Raiders are uh, markedly worse than any of these teams. I believe they can stay with them, you know, toe-to-toe and, and could come out on top. Uh, you know, I'm, again, it's going to be a tough division. So they're going to have to split at a minimum because uh, the rest of the schedule is not a cakewalk either. But I believe they're right there. With a few more additions, I'll feel a little bit better. Uh, James Bradbury looks like he's going to be released by the Giants. Mm-hmm. I don't know if Patrick Graham has enough uh, relationship with him or the Raiders have enough salary cap space to bring him on board and maybe a veteran right tackle. I'd feel a little bit better with some more depth behind Colton Miller or a starter on the right side. And and if, if they hit on some of these uh, undrafted guys, which that that'll if they hit on undrafted players, that's going to be where they have sustained success because they'll have, they'll be paying guys that are contributing and they won't be making a lot. So hopefully, I, I believe that this this regime is is on you know they're on point. They're professional. They know what they're doing. And I don't think we can underestimate the the improvement that this team will make without Gruden and without. I'm nothing against Rich Bisaccia, but he was running Gruden's offense. McDaniels will have a better offense than Gruden. They're going to throw the ball down the field. They're not going to throw it one yard on third and seven and hope the guy makes six yards or throw it behind the line. And he has a diverse running game. And I like the stable of running backs that he's brought in, too. So I'm very, very hopeful. I think that they're going to do a good job in the division. And if they make the, you know, you just have to make the playoffs. And uh, they showed that they were very close to knocking off the team that went to the Super Bowl. So they're not far the additions on offense, this could be a lethal offense if they stay healthy. 
Yeah, uh, and thanks for the call, Dino. I, I really appreciate it. I agree with you. I think this defense, uh, or excuse me, this offense, I, I do believe the defense will get better too. Uh, they're, you know, obviously Trayvon Mullen going under the knife yesterday. I know it was uh, a, a minor uh, situation, and and by all accounts, including his own uh, uh, Instagram account, he, everything came out great. He's fine. It was of of a of minor um, in nature the, the surgery, but you know, here's. In Trayvon Mullen, I'm a big Trayvon Mullen guy. I think when he is on the field, he's a pretty darn good football player, and I felt like he was continually getting better two years ago. Last year was kind of a lot. I mean, it was it was something happened to the foot or the toe early on, and it was basically that was it for him. So we didn't get to see Trayvon Mullen on the field last year, and now that he's undergoing surgery or went, underwent surgery, you know, you got to put a question mark next to him right now. Uh, I, you know, you could be as hopeful as you want, and you do hope that it all works out. And by all accounts, um, he, he seems to be in good spirits and feels like this is headed in the right direction, and that's all great. But for right now, you know, it's you can only put a question mark on him. So that makes you wonder. Makes you wonder because as Dino, you know, just brought up, uh, I think James Bradbury is headed to a release. It's almost imminent. The the Giants have to do something. They're in the negative right now on their salary cap. In order to be able just to sign their draft picks, uh, I want to say they got to clear up, you know, they're they're over the cap by about $5 million. So you have to have salary cap space to be able to pay for, you know, your rookies, you have to, you know, and they haven't signed any of their rookies yet. So uh, something's coming, most likely with James Bradbury. I am sure the Giants, um, you know, would love to be able to trade him and get something of value for him, at least something, anything at this point, rather than just releasing him. But I think everybody in the league understands I'm not going to give you anything. I'd rather just com- – and plus, you, you know, it, for the trading team, you're taking on that salary. So um, if you just wait and then obviously you have to compete with anyone else that might be interested in James Bradbury at that point, um, you know, uh, you, you'll, you'll, ha- you'll be in the running for him. Uh, but most teams are, are all teams are basically saying, "Look, I don't, I don't, I definitely don't want to trade for him, and I'll take my chances on free in free agency. You let him go through waivers, and then um, I don't even know if he has to go through waivers. I have to check that out because they changed the rules on that, and there are certain players that don't have to go through waivers if you hit some sort of a veteran." Um, uh, you know, status. So we'll check that out. Uh, Demond, when we get a chance, let's check out if, if uh, James Bradbury ha- actually has to go through waivers or if he's just a flat release. Um, uh, we'll, we'll check that out. But if you're the Raiders, I, you know, I mean, just it makes a little bit of sense because as, as Dino mentioned, Patrick Graham was his coach the last couple of years. Y- you got to figure that that counts for something. And, you know, uh, I don't know this to be the case. Sometimes that could be good. Sometimes that could be bad. I think in this case, it could be good. I think James Bradbury played reasonably well under Patrick Graham, especially a couple of years ago. And I think that I would imagine Patrick Graham uh, believes in him and, and, and feels like he can help. And I just feel like with the defensive line and with the pass rush that you expect to get from a Chandler Jones and a Max Crosby and then everybody else underneath that and alongside it, when you can generate the kind of pressure that you should be able to generate with Chandler Jones and Max Crosby, there's nothing to suggest that either of those guys are going to take a step back. If they're full bore ahead, that just helps in the back end. And a guy like James Bradbury, as good as he is, 
I think can be even better in this situation because I don't think that he could count on that kind of pass pressure from the New York Giants. So that makes, obviously, a position like cornerback more difficult to play because you're not getting the help up front. How many times have we heard guys talk about this? It's a it, Those two positions complement each other. A pass rush complements the back end. The back end complements the pass rush. And I think a guy like James Bradbury – uh, would would flourish, or or would you know? I think his his play would improve, especially from last year, if he had a pass rush to count on. Uh, and I think here in Las Vegas, you could definitely count on Max Crosby and Chandler Jones being able to get to the quarterback. They they they've done it on a consistent basis now. There's nobody that has more sacks since 2012 than um, uh, Chandler Jones. I think it's 100 and a, 107 and a half sacks and 33 forced fumbles. What do we always talk about? It's not just sacks. It's not just sacks. Those are good enough. You know, those are knocking teams out from second and three to to third and 13. Those are game-changing plays. But if you could add the element of, oh, by the way, I'm stripping the ball, and there goes one of my teammates taking it down the field for a touchdown or putting the team in a much better position, uh, you know, flipping the field, the fumble element that Chandler Jones brings to the equation, and there's nobody that does it better since 2012 then Chandler Jones, if you can add that into the mix, that just helps everybody, including Derek Carr and that offense. Back out to the Realty One Group listener line. Stove is on the line. How you doing, Stove? What's up, Vinny? Uh, hey, listen, this is the time of year where we, we put the, the, the roster under a microscope and say here's where we want to improve and here's where we don't. And if you list the biggest issues with the Raiders, I think it's fair – to look at the offensive line as an area that, that, that the Raiders should want to improve. Right. But I'm going to take a step, I'm going to take a step back here. You know, everybody's bashing this offensive line. Listen, forever we were paying Calicio Semele and Rodney Hudson and Gabe Jackson, and we got nowhere. So what did we do? We took that money, put it into other places, built a young offensive line, and as bad as people want to say they were last year, that offensive line won 10 games and took us to the playoffs. However you want to phrase good, bad, or other, that offensive line with this horrendous pick that everybody says Alex Leatherwood was, he, took, he played in a playoff game last year. And John Simpson played in a playoff game last year. And Andre James, who wasn't drafted, played in a playoff game last year. And the reason they were in the playoffs is because they ran the ball down Denver's throat. And they won at Cleveland. And they beat the Chargers. So, yes, I would love to see Trent Williams on the Raiders' offensive line. That would be amazing. But the bottom line is, Alex Leatherwood was standing next to Nick Saban when they won the national championship. He is not a bum. And, and sure, he's going to have to prove himself. But I'm willing to give this offensive line a little bit of slack, knowing they were part of the reason why we won 10 games last year and made it to the playoffs. And I think people have to give them a little opportunity to grow together. Stove, if we had a call of a day, you would already win the call of a day because you just hit on so many great points. Um, We are in such a rush to judge that one year into Alex Leatherwood, we're ready to kick him to the curb. Are you kidding me? Look throughout history. Look to the recent past, even with the Raiders. 
There was a guy by the name of Colton Miller who everyone said the Raiders reached for Colton Miller. He was terrible as a rookie. Colton Miller is one of the top 10 or so left tackles in the game. Four years later, just earned himself a nice payday. Come on. You don't think that Alex Leatherwood, with everything that he's got going for him, intelligence, an NFL body, an athletic ability that not guys, many people at that size have, experience, you, you, you just hit it on the head. I don't care how bad the offensive line played. They played well enough to help that team get to the playoffs. And when it got right down to it, when you lost Henry Ruggs and Darren Waller wasn't on the field because he was hurt, you had to find different ways to win games, and they did. And the offensive line actually, in that period of time, started getting better. Why are we sitting here? Why is so many of Raider Nation sitting there thinking that it's impossible that Alex Leatherwood could get better? Of course he can get better. And I'll tell you this. Nobody that I've ever talked to, whatever ceiling you want to put on Alex Leatherwood, whatever ceiling that might be, nobody that I've ever talked to ever questioned the work ethic to reach that ceiling. And I would contend we haven't even gotten close to his ceiling. So whether it's at right tackle or right guard or somebody beats him out, and that's not the worst thing if that other person just flat out shows that he that, that, that he deserves it. Whatever way and how whatever the combination is, the Raiders are going to come up with the best five that they feel gives them the best chance to win football games. And as bad as it quote-unquote was last year, as Stove just said, you still made the playoffs. They played well enough to be a contributing part of a playoff team. And I might remind everybody, when you're talking about the playoffs, it's only happened twice with the Raiders since 2001. Those are precious opportunities. And you don't think that that offensive line, as young as it was, you're talking about John Simpson, a second-year player. You're talking about Andre James, a fourth-year player who hadn't played basically, or no, a third-year player, I'm sorry, who was making his first real, you know, the, the first year of him starting at center. And he got better, by the way. Alex Leatherwood, a rookie, that's that was to the left of Colton Miller. And then, you know, there was at right tackle, there was Alex Leatherwood, then it was uh Brandon Parker, but three fifths of that offensive line was extremely young. It's okay sometimes to have one young guy in there or one uh, you know, uh green banana in there, but the Raiders essentially had three green bananas playing offensive line. And as bad as it was, and I put that in quote unquote because it was not great, but it wasn't like bottom of the barrel. Oh my gosh, Derek Carr's running for his life out there through the first five or six games until the Henry Rugg situation, until Darren Waller got hurt. You were talking about Derek Carr as an MVP candidate. That's where his numbers were. So as bad as the offensive line was, and yes, it wasn't great. And in some, t- some points, it wasn't good, but it wasn't so god-awful that the Raiders weren't able to deal with it. And as the year went on, it got a little bit better, especially at center with Andre James. That said, all of that said, there's no doubt in my mind that I wrote about it today for the Las Vegas Review-Journal. You know, the Raiders have added to that room. They drafted two offensive linemen. They are Munfram from Tennessee, the tackle, uh, Dylan Parham, the, quote, 
were either center or, or, or guard for Memphis. They've added those two players to the equation, along with young Alex Leatherwood, along with Andre James, along with John Simpson. They're getting Denzel Good back. Colton Miller is there. They signed Alex Bars. There's a lot of bodies now there and a lot of players, some guys that are coming off years where they played the most NFL, NFL football of their career, certainly in John Simpson's case, certainly in Andre James's case, certainly, obviously, in, in Alex Leatherwood's case, he was a rookie. But Alex Leatherwood played, what, 18 games last year in the NFL, including a playoff game? You don't think he learned a little bit from that experience? It's, it takes a little time for the offensive line, for offensive line men. We talked to Dave Ziegler about that. It's a development position. It's a huge transition to going from college where they do think – I'm not saying they play a completely different sport in college, but the – the amount of time that you have in college to work with your players, and I'm talking about during the offseason and then certainly in the season, what is it, 20 hours that you get? And that includes the um, conditioning, that includes the meetings, that includes everything. So think about when you, when you have to think about how much time coaches have to work with players, especially in season, because guess, guess what? They still go to school. And they, they, they have to keep a cap on that. You know, what you're, you have to cut some corners. And sometimes that's in what you're doing offensively, how deep you can get into it. And sometimes the result of that is you're not able to really dig as deep as you want with your offensive line. So they're doing things differently there. They're, and among other things, there's a lot of reasons why they have to do that. I think I personally think the time that you get to work with the players during the week contributes to that. So by the time they get to the NFL, there's still a upward trajectory that's going on. By no means are any of these players finished products, A, that's you know goes without saying. But also there's a transition period and process going from the college game to the NFL game. And not everybody gets it and grasps it and masters it and, and, and uh, you know, gets a command of it as a rookie. More often than not, more often than not, it's down the road. And Dave Ziegler and Josh McDaniels have talked about this quite a bit, especially with Alex Leatherwood. It's invaluable the amount of time that he played. Good, bad, and different. The good times, the bad times, the times he struggled. Some of those, you know, and a lot of, you know, when you look at uh, Alex Leatherwood, some of his issues, too, were just silly mistakes. Jumping off sides. I can probably count about four or five times maybe that he did that. That contributed to the penalties, and that contributed to his ultimate grades and all that type of stuff. If he can hammer that out and get that resolved and just now have to be a guy, okay, now start grading him on his actual play. And really, if you look at the run block numbers, they were pretty decent. The run blocks, run block numbers were pretty decent. He needed work on uh, pass protection. Well, how do you get better doing that? By playing, by practicing, by understanding things and understanding your role, settling in at one position. And I know the Raiders are going to um, you know, give these guys opportunities to compete at a bunch of different positions so that they have all their bases covered in case, in case. And when we talk about in case, how many times do we talk about this? Yeah, Richie Incognito and Denzel Good were supposed to be the starting guards last year. A couple of sage veterans alongside and in between young players. That never even happened. 
They never even got Richie to the regular season. And then Denzel was lost in the first half of the season opener. There went that plan. Anyway, I think that Stove brings up a good point. Obviously, it's a concern, and there's a question mark on the offensive line. But to sit here and think that guys like Alex Leatherwood and John Simpson and the other guys that they've brought in and Andre James can't get better or won't get better, it defies logic. And really, it kind of contradicts history, too. So we'll see. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor, brought to you by Tequila and Bajado Raider Nation Radio, 920 AM on a Wednesday. We're back in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor. This is Raider Nation Radio, 920 AM. What's good, Raider Nation? By the way, Devon Cotton, our resident Memphis, what do you call it? Memph- Mem- Memphisian? How, what is it? We can just say Miffian, but you know, Memphian? Yeah, because like, yeah, yeah. you're, you're a New Yorker, Californian, Memphian, we went, Tennessean. We, we went our that, resident yeah. Tennessean claimed to me during the break that Dylan Brooks was not guilty of a dirty play on the foul last night of Gary Payton. Uh, come on, man. You can say a bad foul. You can say unnecessary. You can say reckless. It was a dirty play. But it's not dirty. But all of those things. I mean, you know, not, I don't think it was intentionally dirty, but it was ended up being it's not a dirty, dirty. play. It's You're an dirty. NBA player. You need to control. It's only dirty when someone gets hurt. No, 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 no. That was a, from, get, from, from beginning to end, the way the swipe happened. All of that. It was a dirty play. Just admit it. It's okay. It's the NBA basketball and dirty plays no, happen. But Vinny, that's the thing, is that it's not a dirty play. And you're you're smiling because you're just trying to roll me I'm up. not. We got a guest to get to. I'm but not. If it's just, if we'll it's ask Benjamin head, Albright. Well, let's ask him. We'll, we'll, we're going out to the Raider Nation uh, guest line and welcoming in our good friend, the uh, Broncos insider for KOA Colorado, Benjamin Albright. Benjamin, we're going to get to the AFC West. We're going to get to the NFL. But I'm sure you saw the foul last night uh, with Dylan Brooks uh, in the war- against the Warriors, against Gary Payton. Where do you fall on that? Uh, to me, it's a dirty play. You got, you're got an NBA player. You need to be able to control it a little bit better than that. Well, I mean, it was clearly a deliberate foul. Um, as far as being a dirty play, you know, it's borderline. For- he went a little hard there. Um, it was clear, like I said, it was clearly deliberate. Um, you know, at the end of the day, he did sort of make a play on the ball, so I don't know about a suspension, but uh, I, it's not a it's not a foul I'd make if I was playing in the uh, you know in the in the in the yard because you get uh, you get clap back for that. Exactly. That's what I was telling uh, I was telling Demond like if, had Gary not gotten hurt, he's he's getting up and he's getting right into uh, you know Dylan's face. So there would have been some fisticuffs uh, had he not broken his elbow or whatever it was that he, whatever injury he suffered. So all right, I'll go deliberate. Bad. It was a bad foul, and uh, I'm not calling him a dirty player, but it was uh, a foul that you shouldn't be committing, especially at that level uh, of play. I get it. It's the NBA and it's the playoffs, um, but you got to just be a little bit more under control right there. So lesson learned for, for Dylan Brooks. We'll see what the penalty is. Uh, Benjamin, I haven't talked to you since Las Vegas and uh, the draft, and I, I saw some of your uh, Twitter photos, and, and you know I know you, and I know you like to have fun. What were the, what were the uh, highlights of the, we'll get to the actual draft, but for Benjamin Albright, what were the uh, draft weekend highlights? Well, the highlight for me was flying out to Las Vegas and then getting on a plane and flying right back uh, as I got called back to pull duty on uh, on uh, Broncos draft uh, there at Broncos HQ. So I, I spent a grand total of about an hour and a half uh, in Las Vegas before I got called back. So I guess next time we'll have to spend a little bit more time in your fair city there. All right. So so I, the photo that I saw when you were looking a little bit uh, glum, I, I thought it was just because you had a great night out. Was that the photo of you going back to the airport? 
Yeah, that was the sad photo. Oh, oh, oh okay. <laughs> uh, it was a photo going back. So, um, yeah, now I, uh, I, I did, uh, I did tie one on a little bit back here, but I didn't get a chance to really experience Vegas in the fullness. So that'll be the next trip. You know what they always say? You never assume because you know, you know, you know what the what it says. I was assuming that you had just experienced a nice night out, and I was happy for you. But uh, all right, so now I got the. That's why you ask questions. Uh, all right, Benjamin Albright, we're sitting here on May fourth, two thousand and twenty-two. And I don't think there's any question that it, that at least three teams in the AFC, the Raiders, the Chargers, the Broncos, improved. Maybe markedly, maybe decidedly. Uh, I'm not quite sure uh, how to gauge what happened in Kansas City trading Tyreek Hill. We'll just say that they took a little bit of a step back. And we'll reserve judgment later on to see if they were able to re- regain that step that they lost. But as we sit here, what were, what were your impressions, what are your impressions of, of where this division went this offseason? Well, you know, you look at the Chargers, and I, I thought they'd really load up along the offensive line and, and try to buy a protection for Herbert because that was kind of the issue last year. Instead, they, they went heavily on defense, you know, trading for Khalil Mack. They get the J.C. Jackson thing. They signed Bryce Callahan. They get uh, – it's, it's just – it felt like uh, that they've really been, been more in tune with trying to plug that defense up, which, you know, in fairness, they could also be run on last year. I, I just – you know, the Chargers – at some point, they're going to have to show it to people because they've been the darling on paper for like a decade, yeah. oh, and yeah. uh, and then every year they just find a way to charge her, you know. And yes, um, I just you know I I don't I still think they're the fourth team in the division, even with all the things that they signed. And and Khalil Mack, I think they're going to be a little disappointed. Khalil's kind of had a bit of a falling off the last two years in terms of his productivity and his play. So I, I don't know that he's the same player that he was. Um, you know, I don't know if he's still in his prime. And then you look. Uh, you know, you look at the Kansas City, they gutted their defense. They lost Tyreek Hill. They, they tried to reload on defense in a draft. And, you know, they've added a bunch of receivers, but I'm not sure that the receivers they added are any good. Uh, you know, Marquez Valdez dropped this. Is, uh, is, has been inconsistent with catching the football. And he's more straight line speed. You don't have that quick twitch, quick cut ability that, that Tyreek Hill had. Juju Smith Houston is a, a number two receiver. He's not really a one, more of a possession guy than anything else. And, uh, they've, they've got that in Travis Kelsey. So I, you know, and Sky Moore, I, I like him, but he's probably two years away from being a real productive guy in the NFL. So, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I, Kansas City's one I, I'm kind of scratching my head. They're going to need Pat Mahomes to play at an MVP caliber level. And then you got the Raiders and the Broncos. I, I love what the Raiders did getting uh, Devontae Adams. I mean, you know, Derek Carr and that offense already looked good last year. You had a weapon like Adams. And, man, that is a tough nut to crack. Who are you going to stop? Right. You know, it's pick your poison. So I love that. I still think the Raiders need some defensive help. Um, I like what they did in the draft with the first two picks. Didn't really like much of the rest of their draft. Uh, and then, you know, Denver had a great defense last year. Uh, the offense is okay. Need a quarterback. You go out and get Russ. I, you know, I like what Denver's done. It's just a question of you've got a very young, very inexperienced coaching staff and a new quarterback, and it, it's how quickly can that come together? Ben, I want to uh, stay with the, with the Chargers for a second because I was with you. I thought they would, uh, you know, go heavy off. Heavy defense, and maybe it's not that big of a surprise. I have all the respect in the world for Tom Delesco, their their general manager. But at the same time, you know, Brandon Staley is the head coach. What is Brandon Staley? He's a defensive minded head coach, um, and so you know he's getting that side of the ball fixed. I it's it's interesting to me sometimes when you put a defensive coach on what is, argue, I mean, such a great quarterback with uh with, with Justin Herbert is that a good mix do you think I mean uh, or or could you know what I'm saying like or, or could Brandon Staley just because of his instincts and and what he prioritizes maybe that hurts the young quarterback 
Well, I, th- I think Staley's a smart guy. I'll say that. We were, he was out here in Denver for a year. He's a very, very smart guy. Um, I'll say that he's, you know, I, I think he'll get them turned around. I just, it's, it's such a tough division. And the fact that the Chargers didn't address their two biggest needs, they needed speed at the receiver position and they need blocking. And they didn't get either, you know. So it's just it's just kind of weird. I mean, you go let Herbert back there behind that offensive line. I mean, that, that offensive line is bad. It's really bad. Um, and so, you know, I, that's that's the, the head scratcher to me. I get you need the pieces to run the defense that Staley wants to run because I, I've seen Vic Fangio run the same defense, you know, in Denver the last couple of years, and I, I know what you need to run that. Uh, but at the end of the day, I mean, even if you have a great defense, and the Broncos were number three in the NFL in scoring last year, if you can't, if your offense isn't there, it won't it won't matter. Right, absolutely. We're going to talk to Benjamin Albright, the great Broncos insider uh, and also NFL insider. Got to always throw that in there uh, from uh, KOA Colorado uh, with the Raiders. Um, or no, let's just uh, with, the, with the Broncos. I saw all the images of Russell Wilson out there doing his thing uh, in their uh, voluntary minicamp. Um, when you look at what he's brought to the table, uh, and I know it is a rookie head coach, but uh, I think Hackett um, is cut from the right kind of kind of cloth, and I think that that'll work out there. Um, how much does Russell Wilson bring uh, to this, and, and is it enough uh, to get the Broncos over the hump so that they are legitimately talking about playoff aspirations in Denver? Well, I guess that question depends on what Russell Wilson shows up on the field. Um, off the field, this is like when Peyton Manning came out here. I mean, yeah. there's a there's a wildly different approach. It's it's attention to detail with football obsessive approach he's got kind of the same mentality as paying with you know hey uh, you come out here's the standard you meet the standard you're good you don't meet the standard i thank you kindly for trying and we'll find someone who will and that's it's a ruthless kind of kind of attitude but i think it's it's raised the bar around denver which is a good thing he said uh russ had his worst year last year now part of that can be blamed on the injury um but overall it was his worst year as a as a pro now the year before that was arguably his best year as a pro. So which Russell Wilson shows up on the field, he's learning a new offense. They're going to run outside zone here. Um, that's, that's a little bit new for him. Um, so there's, there's some new elements to it that he hasn't done before. And it, it just really is a question of how this young coaching staff, and you've got a head coach, two coordinators, well, three coordinators, uh, and, and a bunch of positions that have never done this before. They've never been coordinators on any level, and the head coach has never been a head coach. In fact, he's barely been a play caller before. So um, it's, it's going to be interesting to see how the lack of experience on the coaching staff and the new system for us, how quickly all that can come together. Where are things with the weapons? Um, I know Jerry Judy's in that mix. I know that there's some uh, players that they've drafted and that they brought in, and there's been some high hopes. It may not have materialized yet, but uh, as you as you uh, look at the, the the receivers, tight ends, and what's going to surround um, you know Russell Wilson, where does that group stand? Well, you've got Tim Patrick and Cortland Sutton on the outside. If Sutton can get back to the form he had before the injury, then then I think they're good. Patrick is ultra-reliable. He's a little bit more stiff-hipped and a long strider, but ultra-reliable just doesn't drop the ball. Really a third-down guy more than anything else, but uh, you can jump ball and fade him in the end zone. And in the slot will be Jerry Judy and K.J. Hamler. We've all seen Judy, but he's this is a prove-it year for him. I mean, he just had too many drops over the last two years. He got to the point last year where they were just using him as the dummy guy on jet sweeps. Um, despite the fact that he's an route runner, if he can't hang the football, that's a problem. And then, uh, you know, K.J. Hamler has all the speed in the world, but, uh, you know, couldn't stay healthy. So it's been a knock on him. So he can get healthy, that's, you know, that's another bonus for him. The tight ends, they got rid of Noah Fant uh, in, the, uh, in the trade for us. 
So Albert Okuwebenam will be the starting tight end with Greg Dulcich, who they just drafted, uh, kind of as the move tight end. And then you've got two blockers and Eric Salbert and Eric Tomlinson. Uh, Tomlinson's basically a glorified tackle. He's not going to catch anything. So um, the offensive line, you know, they brought in some guys to try to shore up the right tackle. They've got uh, Calvin Anderson, Billy Turner, and Tom Compton. And whoever doesn't win that job will probably be uh, of those of Turner and Cuff that will probably back up the guard spots. The offensive line looks looks pretty good overall, and they really like rookie or second year guy Quinn Miners last year to be the right guard. So Graham Glasgow is probably going to be the center, and Dalton Reisner the left guard. Um, you know, overall, and in the backfield, you know, the one two we saw last year with Javante and Melvin Gordon. The one knock on that backfield is that Melvin fumbles the ball too often, and Javante is not great in short yardage, despite that immense strength and power. He's just not been good in short yardage stuff. All right, Benjamin, I'm going to ask you to put your defensive coordinator hat on. Um, and uh, you're playing the Raiders. And there's Devontae Adams on one side. There's Darren Waller, wherever they're going to line him up. There's Hunter Renfro. Uh, there's Josh Jacobs. Uh, there's Brian Edwards out there. How are you defending? And there's a quarterback that throws the ball as accurately as anybody in the NFL. How are you when you pick your poison against this defense? In what direction are you going? And can you? I mean, how difficult is it going to be for defenses to defend what the Raiders have built out here in Las Vegas? Well, it's going to be immensely difficult because you've got the right offensive guy in there too. Um, you know, McDaniel's offense is, uh, is is get rid of the ball quickly, and Derek Carr is a get rid of the ball quickly quarterback. You know, and I know he's been knocked for that over the years, but it's served him pretty well, and it'll serve him well in this offense. So you got to kind of pick your poison. I, I think the way to do this is either you're going to either throw everything in the kitchen sink at Derek Carr, hope you can get to him before he gets rid of the football, or you're going to have to find a way to generate pressure with a very limited number and try to drop everybody back and and, and try to read the quarterback. That didn't work for Vic Fangio as Derek Carr tore him up. Um, you know, every time they played, so uh, I, I think you got to have to find a way to generate more pressure. That's part of the reason the, the Broncos added Nick Benito. Uh, their pick, pick sixty four, their, their first draft pick. Uh, they've got to find a way to dial up more pressure. Uh, as far as doubling people up, I think you double up Waller. Um, I, I, you try to get one on one with Adams. Sertan's a, a pretty good quarterback, cornerback, and yeah, I'm not saying you can go one on one with Adams, but I think that's the one you go one on one. You take Waller away. Um, I, I think Edwards is kind of just a guy. Redfro will kill you on third down, so you may need to double him on third but uh, I think Waller's the piece you take away and you hope that you don't get burned by Adams when you look at the Raiders offensive line if there is a soft underbelly of uh, of the Raiders right now uh, at least as we sit here in May early May it's the offensive line I think there's a question mark that needs to be attached to it they didn't play particularly well last year Uh, I know that there's hope that some of the young players are going to get better um, but when you talk about Derek Carr, when you talk about Josh McDaniels and, and the, the get-the-ball-out-quick mentality, is that able to um, sometimes mask an offensive line that might not be one of the better offensive lines? Oh, absolutely. And, and you can go back and look, look at Peyton Manning and those Colts offensive lines that he had. You know, Peyton was a master at getting the ball out quick. He didn't have the strongest arm, but he'd get the ball out quick. And that covered all manner of sins. I mean, I remember a year they went in there with Tony Hugo as their left tackle. And <laughs> right. that dude... Um, you know, I, I call it trash, but I don't want to give refuse a bad name. So it was, you know, it, it's one of those things where if you've got a quarterback who's smart, can make quick decisions and get the ball that accurately and quickly, it'll cover all manner of sins on an offensive line. Uh, and that's, that's the thing. I think for the Raiders this year, your line is probably the second worst in the division, but, you know, you've got a quarterback that can compensate for it. Yeah, no doubt about it. And we're talking to Benjamin Albright, the great Broncos insider in Colorado, in Denver. Uh, all right, last question for you, Benjamin. Uh, as we look across the NFL, 
Uh, there's a kid by the name of Baker Mayfield, and he's sitting in limbo right now with the Cleveland Browns, sitting there with a pretty big salary number uh, as well. Not the biggest when it comes to quarterbacks, but civic, significant enough. The draft has come and gone. Um, no quarterbacks really, you know, besides uh, Pickett from from Pittsburgh went in the first round. Uh, it still seems like there's some landing spots for Baker Mayfield. What's the deal uh, with Baker, and where is he ultimately going to uh, end up? Well, that's a good question. Uh, I know a lot of people thought Seattle, and that still is a possibility, but they're a lot cooler on him, I think, than, than everybody is on the idea of him going there. Um, I don't think Carolina, there was an internal discussion. I think that's done, especially since Ben McAdoo's the OC, and they famously have beef. Um, you know, I, I I know what Baker wants. Baker wants them to cut him, and uh, and then he'll go to Pittsburgh. But you know, now that they've got uh, Kenny Pickett, that was or that was before the draft. Now they got Kenny Pickett. I don't know if that's still the same uh, possibility for him there. Um, I wouldn't totally discount the Houston Texans as an insurance policy for Davis Mills. Um, I wouldn't totally discount Seattle. I wouldn't totally discount them finding a way to do what the Texans did with Watson last year and leave him inactive for each game and, or as an insurance policy in case Watson gets suspended. So um, I think there are possibilities, but keep in mind there's another quarterback out there that hasn't landed anywhere in Jimmy Garoppolo, uh, and he's going to get dealt probably before the season starts as well. Where does Jimmy go? I think Carolina. I, I just my gut says Carolina, um, but uh, I don't. I don't have. Uh, I don't have a whole lot of intel on that right now. Yeah, those that quarterback situation. There's a tight lid on that quarterback situation. I'm sure people are mm-hmm. waiting for one one shoe to drop uh, and then and then react off of that. Uh, well, wherever either of those guys go and whatever happens in Denver or on the in the AFC, Benjamin Albright has got you covered. Uh, keep an eye on him. He's the Broncos insider for KOA Colorado. Benjamin, thank you so much for spending some time with us in the huddle. We'll talk you down the road my friend absolutely brother for you anytime all right thank you so much that is benjamin albright from uh koa colorado he is the broncos insider always has great insight across the league not just there in denver you're in the huddle with Vinny bonsignor brought to you by tequila embajador raider nation radio 920 a.m on a wednesday interact with the show text Vinny at 69187 or tweet at him at Vinny Bonsignor this is in the huddle with Raiders beat writer Vinny Bonsignor on Raider Nation Radio 920 AM oh look at look at here guess who is having back surgery Damon Cotton can't be trained by Mullen because it was his no 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 Raider related I don't want to start any sirens here Ben Simmons, back surgery on Thursday. You know, I, I've learned this lesson doing I, – I, I continually learn this lesson, um, and certainly I've tried to get better at it, especially in my role covering professional sports, covering teams. It's, it's, it's always interesting to me how sometimes fans and media – the media is guilty of this too – they just jump on a player – uh, assuming certain things like you're fine, you're okay, get out there, you're just dogging it, you're this. And that. He's going on undergoing back surgery. And who, remember our, fr- our friend Isaiah Johnson, what he tweeted? If you've never had a, a herniated disc and if you've never had surgery and if you've never had, if played professional sports, sit this one out. And, and, and Isaiah knows that as well as anyone. He had a herniated disc. It took him a good year to get back out there and back playing pain-free. I know this because he told me about it. The pain is intense. I don't know what the, what the back injury is for Ben Simmons, but I hope a lot of people take a moment or two to sit back and say, hey, you know what? You know, it's kind of piling on Ben Simmons and and 
the guy's undergoing when surgery. Did he, when did he? When see, but Vinny, I don't. Nobody should care about this because if the back hurts, the back hurts. You didn't want to play. Maybe he should have. As soon as the trade happened, that's the maybe his right team. there. That's what I'm saying. Like you can't assume that he didn't want to play. Oh, if he can play, as soon as the trade happened, it should have been, "Hey guys, thank you to Brooklyn for trade for trading for me. I really wanted to get out of Philly, but I will not be playing this season." But what if you're still trying to work to get better and trying whatever you he would can? Have known he didn't start playing. He didn't start exact moving on the court to see if he's ready until the playoffs started. We knew he wasn't going to play. We don't play. know, Vinny. We know. We know. So we what know. are you saying though? Then then just say, "Hey, my maybe back he are... really did want to give it a, a try to try oh, to get out there and play." That's like I don't Vinny. That's some um, saying like, "Hey." Hey, I'm really going to get out there. I'm going to get out there. I've been training. I've been training for he this race. He did get out you're there. Training for like, oh, this race is coming up. I, I don't understand what your argument is. Race. I don't understand what the argument is. That you shouldn't. You haven't tried to play basketball all year, so don't try to give people fool's gold that the week I don't of think the most fool's important gold. series that that's when you're coming back. But I don't think that was fool's gold. There was gold. never any talk that, about how him do you playing. Know? Because I follow the NBA, Vinny. How do you, I mean, he, they got to a certain point, and I think he's holding out hope to if if there's anything I could do at this at, before going, undergoing surgery, and maybe I don't have to do that. Try to get to a point where I could help this team, and they get to the playoffs, and he's trying to do that, and he figured out after going out there and try. They were in the series for what a minute or two, right? Yeah, they got swept. Okay, and and somewhere along the line, he's like, "I'm gonna try to let me see if I could do this." Yeah, that difference between being down three zero and being and whatever being down the 2-1. case might be. But the fact is, he's undergoing so there was a legitimate issue, and I think, and I know athletes try to do this sometimes. Let me hold off on the surgery and just see if I can contribute somehow, some way. I'm not saying yeah, athletes do that all the time, and I think just, he did you did tough that. it out. What's that? Yeah, they tough it out. Athletes right. do that but all the time. Right, but there's a hey, – they, they wait until after the season to get the surgery. Which is what he did. This is what he's doing. But I'm just saying that people – there were people who were claiming that he was there. Were, he was just dogging it, that he wasn't hurt. There, I, I, I'm trying to figure out what your argument is. I think he gave it to the last possible minute to try to yeah, help the team. Yeah, and I think that's a good story to tell. I, that, I, that, that, hey, wh- I was why would, what, What's the wh- – To save face. I don't think that he what, ever why, had what, any What face intent- does he need to save? I don't think he ever had any intentions of playing. But let's, let's, say the, let's say if the back is hurt. Yes, but the I one, that, obviously, I, it's yes. hurt. He's going undergoing surgery. Yes, no one's just getting an elective back surgery. Right. Yes. But I do think – Gosh, I better save face here. I better just uh, fake a surgery at this point. I mean, like, how I far do we go with this? I don't think it – at when he got traded, mm-hmm. I think that he knew in his mind, like, yeah, maybe you can you can get a. He's a professional athlete. Maybe work out, run, shoot a couple of baskets. You know, well, let's see how w- I feel. Way more than that, but I'm not saying <laughs> run, that he wasn't shoot a couple of baskets. Yes, is he probably doing some daily workouts? Sure, absolutely. But I 1, think he knew as soon as he got traded. Probably. Yeah, thanks for the trade, but I'm probably not playing this season. Probably I'm not playing at all this but, season. But I, I, I don't think I, the, the. You just want people to give him the benefit of the doubt. I don't. It's 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 neither here nor there for me. I'm just saying, don't dog the guy if you don't know what's really going on. Like your argument is, it was fool's gold. You should have just you know said from the beginning uh, not to do it. That's fine. Okay, I get your argument. But other people are have made it out to be since day one, basically, that this guy has just arbitrarily decided. Because they can sniff through the BS. You were not making – there was no reports of, hey, Ben Simmons, like during the regular season, hey, Ben Ben Simmons, maybe in a week or two he's going to be – he's ramping up. Forget the part about that. There were no reports about ramp up. But then the playoffs start, hey, he's thinking about it. Why – we don't want to hear that you're thinking about it or you're trying to test it out. Why? The week of the playoffs. What happens happens if it had worked out? What happens if – you know what? I think I I could go. Because we knew it wasn't going to work out. Okay. That's a separate argument, though, from people who just thought he was sitting out just being lazy and not playing because he checked out and didn't want to play. Obviously, there was an issue. I know you're rolling your eyes, but 
he's now got a, 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 a good amount of time to get right, to get to get healthy, and and hopefully he'll be able to. But I'm just saying, I'm just saying that there's a lot of people who are making a lot of accusations also, against Ben Simmons. Break the dogging also came because why couldn't you play in Philly before we know about this back? Uh, my anxiety, this, that, and the other. I so wasn't there. Wait, he was. Yes, he just didn't want to play in Philly. So that's why some he was people, definitely trying to get out of Philly. They can't take the mental health stuff serious. First, it's the mental health. Now you have anxiety. Now your back's hurt. It's just always something. So maybe just just sit out the whole season, shut up, and just come back next season. I don't. I'm, you're you're a, you're a shut up and play guy. I, I, I'm not. I think there's human beings behind this. Yeah, and there's you're certain. You know what I'm saying? Like, like obviously, I'm, I'm, I'm kidding with you right now. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsier. Brought to you by Tequila and Bahadur. Raider Nation Radio, 920 AM on a Wednesday.